Hello and welcome everyone to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Mark with this week's sermon. Well, it's good to be back with you today. If you have your Bible, turn with me, if you will, to the book of Romans. We have made our way to chapter 5 as we are working our way through the book of Romans one verse at a time or chapter at a time. Uh, I was not able to be with you last week, but Roger did an incredible job uh, as he picked up in our study in chapter four. In fact, I was absolutely amazed because he covered the whole chapter. I mean, the entire chapter. And I thought, wow, that was just amazing. And so I was inspired. And I thought, you know, if, if Roger can do that, I think I could do that. And, and so I looked at chapter 5, and I began reading, and I thought, well, man, these first 11 verses, I think, need to be kind of taken together as, as, a, as a topic that Paul is talking about. And the more I began to look at the first 11 verses, the more I realized it's going to take me three weeks to get through 11 verses in chapter 5. And so I just have to tell you, I'm just not as, I'm just not as gifted as Roger. Um, Roger Roger's kind of like a monorail, man. I mean, he, boom, he's, and I'm like the little engine that could, you know? Do you remember that? Is that too old for you? You know, I'm just, I think I can, I think I can, I think. So that's the way I am. I'm just kind of barely making it to the top. And, and so I want to look at these first 11 verses in chapter 5. Now, uh, thus far... Uh, in chapter 1, 2, and 3, and in chapter 4. We have we started with the bad news in the first three chapters. And, and then Paul kind of turns the corner a little bit in the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4. He kind of gives us an illustration saying, hey, I, I want you to really understand that we are saved by faith, not by works, not by what we do. And he gives an example of Abraham for those Jewish Christians that were a part of the church there in Rome. And, um, and he offers that to them in chapter 4. And then when we come to chapter 5, chapter 5 kind of opens up like coming out of a tunnel into the sunlight. And if you're a student of the Bible at all, if you've studied Scripture, if you've kind of grown up in the church, if you're a person that highlights in your Bible, chapter 5's probably got all kinds of yellow highlights already because it is a chapter that contains so many incredible truths as we come out of that tunnel into the light. And what Paul does in chapter 5, in the first 11 verses, is he helps us understand the benefits of our justification. Now, you remember justification's big churchy word, and, and the best way to remember it, you can take the word and kind of break it down. Justification means that God looks at us just as if I'd never sinned. Justification, just as if I'd never sinned. Justification means that God has declared that I am innocent because Jesus has come to pay the penalty for my sin. The wages of sin is death, but God accepted the death of Jesus as payment for my sin so that I can be forgiven. And so Paul says, as a result of what Jesus has done for us when we receive him by faith, guess what? There are benefits that you and I can enjoy every day. 
Now, sometimes we think the benefits of being saved are going to be heaven one day. But Paul says, look, being a child of God doesn't mean that we just get heaven in the sweet by and by. It also means that we get help in the nasty here and now. He said that, that there are benefits to being a child of God. And he gives us in the first 11 verses five benefits of being a child of God. And we're going to look at three of them today. I, I meant it when I said it's going to take us three weeks to get through the first 11 verses of chapter 5. But we're going to look at three of those together in our time as we move forward. So if you have your Bible, look with me if you will. Chapter 5, Romans, Paul writing, kind of tying us back to what he had just talked about. We are saved by faith through what Jesus has done, not by works. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, because we have been made right with God by faith, he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in the hope, in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and prove a character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, in those 11 verses, Paul kind of gives us five different benefits that we get to experience every day as a result of being a child of God. Now, unfortunately, many of us are not experiencing these, so hopefully as we identify them and see what God has made available to us, we'll begin to walk in the benefits of our justification as Paul refers to it. Now, there, there are three of them that we're going to cover today. The first one Paul mentions is in verse 1 when he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. He said, number one, we have peace with God. As a result of being forgiven, as a result of God uh, uh, stamping that we are innocent, you and I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's not talking here about a peace 
that we feel. Now, that, that would be the peace of God. The peace of God is the peace that God gives us sometimes in troubled times. When we go through heartache and hardship and trauma in our life, often God will give us the peace of God. That's what Jesus said when he says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. That's the kind of peace that Paul talks about when he's writing to the church in Philippi. And he says, he says the, the peace of God that passes our own understanding, that guards our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It's the peace of God that enables us to go through hard times and somehow be okay. I mean, the rest of the world is falling apart, but somehow you and I are able to say, I, I don't like where I'm at, and I'm not sure what the future is going to be, but somehow God just gives me a peace that enables me to handle the heartache of life. But that's not the peace that Paul is talking about here. That is the peace of God. What Paul talks about here is peace with God. He's talking about an objective fact. In verse 10 of the text that we read, he speaks of being reconciled with God. To be reconciled means that you have two sides that are at odds. They are enemies, as he refers to them there in verse 10 and 11. They are enemies, but they are reconciled. They are brought together. And, and the, the thing that separated them was taken care of. And often a mediator is involved in reconciling two sides. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the mediator. It is through Jesus that these two sides were reconciled. The thing that separates us from God is the fact that we are a sinner. In the first three chapters, Paul established the fact that all of us are sinners. None of us escape that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us are separated from God. But Jesus comes to deal with our sin, and in the process, when we place our faith in him, he brings these two, uh, these two enemies together. So ultimately, Paul says we are at peace with God, and when he says that, he says we are no longer enemies. Now, it's really interesting as Paul is writing this, he kind of anticipates some of the challenges that people are having because many of the Jews, especially in, in the church in Rome, they, they were so convinced that salvation comes by works. We have to keep the law. We have to do this and we have to do that. There are many of you that are here today and, and your concept of salvation has been the same thing. As long as we do more good than bad, one day we'll get to heaven and God puts all the good we did on the divine scale and as long as it outweighs the bad, everything's good. And, and, and the problem with that is that there is no security. There is no, that we, we never know if we've done enough. And Paul comes along to say, no, it's not by works. It's not by what you've done. It's by faith. And he gives an illustration in chapter four of Abraham. So this is what the Jews are thinking now. Okay, if we're not saved by what we do and how we live our life or because we've been baptized or all those things that we associate with salvation, if we're really saved by faith, What's to keep God from getting mad at us if we do something wrong and calling the whole deal off? How, how what, what about, how's God gonna, and so Paul says, just so that you understand, 
you were enemies of God and he has given to you peace. We are at peace with God now. You're no longer enemies. You're part of the family. You, you can recognize that, that through Jesus Christ, God has brought you together. He has reconciled you so that you are no longer enemies. And you know what's amazing? Most of us don't see ourselves as the enemies of God, do we? I mean, even an atheist would say, well, I'm not an enemy of God. I mean, I don't believe in God. Fine, you guys want to believe in that. That's okay. I'm not an enemy of God. But you know, the Bible says there's only two sides. You're either for me or against me. You are, you are with me or you're not with me. And you are an enemy of God. He says you are of the, your father, Satan. You are an enemy of God. If you have never received Jesus as Savior, but through faith in Jesus, we have been reconciled, and God says, Carol, you are no longer my enemy. And as a result of that, the war between us is over. And the thing that separated you from me, which was your sin, that's been removed so that you now can come into my presence. And what that really means for us is this. It means that we don't ever have to wonder, does God love me? It means that we never have to wonder, is God on my side? It means that we never have to wonder if God is for me. I never have to wonder if God is working for my good. I never have to wonder if God likes me. I never have to wonder, is God angry at me? Because I have peace with God. He has declared that I am no longer an enemy. And the thing that separated us, he took care of so that we, the two sides that are separated, are reconciled. And as a result of that, I can rest. I don't have to worry anymore because I'm at peace with God. And so Paul says, this is one of the benefits of, of what Jesus did for you on the cross. When you put your faith in him, you're at peace with God. So you don't have to worry about your salvation. It's secure. But secondly, in the text before us, he says that not only is it a benefit that we have peace with God, he said it's also a benefit that we have access to God. In verse 2, he says, through him we have obtained an introduction into the grace in which we stand. That, that phrase introduction, that word introduction carries with it the idea of a person being introduced to a king, being presented before the king. You don't get to walk into the throne room of, of a king. And the only thing that we know about a king today is there's a king in England now. There was a queen for many years, but in her death, there's a king now. Well, just go over and try to walk into his presence one day and see how that works out for you. You'd you have good luck finding out where he's at and what palace he's in. But if you find what palace he's in, just try to walk into his presence. You, you don't get to walk into his presence. You're invited into his presence. You might be able to make an, an appointment and, and you might be able to arrange a meeting, but you are invited into the presence of the king. And that's what that word in, in, in introduction means. And Paul says, I want to tell you something. Not only are we at peace with God, did God remove the thing that separated us and he reconciled so that the two sides could come together. We have access. We get to come right into his presence. And I want to tell you something. 
This, this is incredible because for the Jewish mind, and, 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 and I think Paul's kind of writing heavily toward many of the Jewish Christians that were there because their concept of God is that he is so holy, you can't even say his name. Whenever you write his name, you can't even spell it out. Do you know that's true even today? If you were to find a Jewish person and ask them to write the name of God on a chalkboard, just write God, G-O-D, on a chalkboard, they will not do it. They will write G-D. They will not write the O. God is too holy and too righteous. We can't even approach him in that instance. When I was in seminary years ago, we had a rabbi that actually audited a Hebrew course that we taught at the seminary. And, uh, and he just audited the course just to kind of have that, that refresher in, in Hebrew. And I remember our Hebrew professor used to always call on him to write those verses on the board that had the name God in it. <laughs> just to needle him a little bit. And, and he would write G-D. And, uh, and he, he did that on purpose because he knew what would happen. And it was an opportunity to say, why is it that you guys do that? Because we believe the name of God. So what happens is the Jewish people were thinking, I can't even have access to God. I can't approach God. And you know what Paul said? Oh, but because of what Jesus did for you and removing your sin, you and I get to walk right into the throne room of God, the creator of the universe. The God who spoke creation into being. You and I get to walk right into his presence. The God who is high and lifted up, who has no equal, is the God that you and I can approach. The writer of Hebrews said it this way. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, boldness, so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Paul says we have access to stand in the grace that God gives us. Boy, there is such security there. What that means is I don't have to worry about God backing out of the deal. I don't have to worry about God ever abandoning me. God never abandons his children, even when we mess up. It means that, that we don't ever have to worry about God unloving us. We never have to worry about God unfriending us. We never have to worry about God breaking up with us. We never have to worry about God ghosting us. Paul said we have access and the security that that brings when you when you think salvation is based on you and your works there's no security there because you never know if you're good enough but when we realize it's because of what he's done there's security and we stand in the grace I don't deserve it but God gives it to me and I stand in his grace boy the example of his access to us when uh, before I came here as pastor in church, there's no question, I think, in your minds that I love children. I, I love hanging out with children and spending time with the children that are a part of our church and, and uh, picking on them and, and, and just loving on them. And I remember there was a little boy in the church that I was at before I came here. And, and his mom would come to the office sometimes and volunteer during the week. And she would bring him up to the office. And on one occasion, I remember my office door was there and my secretary was just outside the door. And, um, and he walks up to the secretary and he says, is he in there? 
And she said, yes, he is. He said, well, I'm going in. And it's okay because he knows me. And she said, well, okay then. And he just marches right into my office. I see it today with my grandchildren, Emma especially, my, my, uh, the youngest of Daniels. And Christina will come to the church sometimes, and Emma knows where my office is. And she knows Julie, and she'll just walk right past Julie into my office. It doesn't make any difference if you're in there. It doesn't make any difference who's counseling. It doesn't make any difference. That's Papa. And I'm going to. Mama sometimes tries to keep her from coming into my office. Just wait and find out if somebody else is in there. But you know what? Emma's like, mm, I don't care if there's anybody in there or not. That's Papa. I've got access. And she exercises that. One of my favorite moments happened a few years ago. I was speaking here, I think it was at Christmas time, and Michael, my oldest son, and his family was here. And they were sitting right back there. And um, I could tell that my oldest granddaughter on, and his family, um, they were having a hard time holding her because she saw me up here. And she wanted to come to me. And they were trying to figure out, do I leave or do I? And, and finally, she gets away from them. And she runs down this aisle. Some of you may remember that. And she runs down this aisle. She runs all the way up here. And I reach down and grab her and pick her up. And she just wrapped her little arms around me and hugged me so tight. And, and I stopped to say, let me just stop for a second. Here's a good illustration. This is what our relationship with God looks like. There's nothing going to keep me back from that. I have access. You have access to the creator of the universe. You and I can come boldly into his presence in prayer, and he hears us, and he understands. And Paul says, let me tell you something. One of the benefits of justification is that we're at peace with God. The thing that separated us is gone. We're no longer enemies. And because we're no longer enemies, we have access to God. We can go right into his presence and access his grace and his power and his strength. The security that that offers because it's not based on me. You didn't save yourself. You didn't justify yourself. You didn't adopt yourself. You didn't redeem yourself. That's something Jesus did. And because he did that and it's only his doing, <laughs> we have the certainty of that reality. Listen, what I want you to understand is this. God doesn't want you to live with uncertainty about his love. He doesn't want you to live like you could get kicked out of the family at any moment. That is a miserable way to live. He wants you to understand that there's nothing you could ever do that would cause him to not love you. There's nothing you can ever do and have ever done that would cause him to turn his back on you. You and I have access to the grace of God in which we stand. Reconciled is a relational term. God has brought us together in relationship. Well, the third thing that he offers is this. He says, we also have the hope of the glory of God. Now, hope in the New Testament is a confident 
expectation. It's not some wishy-washy kind of hope that we have today when we say, boy, I hope the car cranks. It's a cold morning. So I hope my car cranks or I hope my football team wins. And, and I'm not really sure when I wish that what will happen. No, hope in the New Testament is, listen to me, it is an unrealized certainty. What that means is, it means I haven't seen it, but I know it. I expect fully with God's gifted knowledge. It's not a wishing well, it's a confidence that is more certain than the sunrise. It's the ability that a person has to know that you know that you know. I have had the opportunity to see this hope exercised hundreds of times in the over 45 years that I've been a pastor. I've stood beside the bed of people who stepped off into eternity and, and I have watched hundreds of people step into eternity with absolute confidence, with no fear with absolute assurance, they know that they know that they know what's going to happen. It's a confidence more certain than the sunrise. Someone said that a, a person can live weeks without food and water, but only days without hope. James Stockdale was the first American POW in Vietnam. He spent seven years in a POW camp, brutally, brutally tortured. Miraculous that he made it through that experience when so many that were captured after him did not. And when interviewed later, he said the only thing that got him through was the hope that he would one day see his family again. He said, I watched men captured after me who were brought and went through what I went through and they would break us down. And he said, finally, they would get to the place where they had no more hope. And when they give up hope, they died. He said, but somehow I was able to hold on to hope. And Paul says, you and I, as a result of being a child of God, have been given hope. And that hope sustains us in the difficulties of life. Do you realize that so many people despair of life today? The attitude that so many people have today is simply this. Life is a punishment for the crime of being born. There are people that literally believe that life is a disease from which the only cure is death. Or as the great philosopher Mellencamp once said, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. All the world offers us is hopelessness. Have you noticed that? Evolution, there's no hope in that. The me-focused world that we live in today, when it's all about me, my body, my choice, my life, me, 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 and there's no hope in that. Socialism chokes out creativity. There's no hope there. Atheism leaves us empty. 
But Paul says, you know what? We have a Bible that's full of the promises of hope. And that's how we live life. It's like that, that old song that Gloria Gaither wrote. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. Life is worth living just because he lives. Listen, I don't hope for salvation. I have hope in my salvation. I, I, I don't hope that I'm saved. That doesn't cut it. I know I'm saved because of the hope that I have received through Jesus. The hope of glory means that my salvation is anchored in the future. In fact, let's just review. The peace of God means that in the past, Jesus made it possible for me to be reconciled to God so that I'm no longer his enemy. And my salvation is anchored in the past. Access to God means that through Jesus right now, my salvation is anchored in the present. And hope of glory means that my salvation is anchored in the future. Just those three things changes everything for us when we see it and embrace it. You know, often songs give us the means by which we can declare truth and remember it and see it. What I want us to do in our time together that remains is to sing a song that, that I think declares these truths that we just talked about. And so I want you to do something. I, I want you to sing this song as a declaration of this truth, but I want you to pay attention to what you're singing so that you look at the words, and if you agree with the words, then they become your declaration. This is true, and I declare that, and I sing that. And you and I are able to sing the blessings of the benefits that are his, and maybe... When you find yourself humming the song throughout the week, you'll remember the benefits that we have in him. So let's sing this together. Oh, sing hallelujah, 